Hey folks, make sure to stay up to date on all the latest episodes by following us at Get Wrecked Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you have any recommendations you'd like to hear us review on the show, you can contact us directly via email. Or, I don't know, maybe you just want to send us some feet pics. You creep, I don't know what you're into. I don't care. We'll review those too. What do you think of that, huh? In any case, all your requests, feedback, and general criticism of the straight white patriarchy can be sent to getrectpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, Droogies, and welcome to another episode of Get Wrecked, the only podcast anywhere in the world where two buds take turns recommending and reviewing some of their favorite pop culture hits, hidden gems, and oddities. I'm, of course, your host and resident silly boy Thor, joined today, as always, by my friend and co-host... He's the man who has ruined all other men for you. It's Micah. Oh, man. I ruined people. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, of course, we have for the second week in a row. Oh, yeah. That's a new record. Right. Our buddy from the comics that we love. You know him. You love him. Zach McCrary. Ohio. What's happening, folks? It's been a whole week since we've seen each other. I know. It's <sighs> been forever. How's yeah. the wife and kids? Oh, you know, we're good still. We're good. Still eating hot and candy grapes. Yep. Great. Yep. That's wonderful. Great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, uh, also congratulations to you because you are the first four-time participant on the comics that we love nice four times oh he's done it four times and you are now the third guest on here which now you have the record on this show hot damn nice a couple of record holders here oh man man we're champions this pat everybody's back incestuous podcasting (laughs) pretty much that's exactly what podcasting is oh Oh, man well yeah so uh this week what are we getting into thor we are talking about my recommendation to you 1972. Yeah, get let your me, facts straight. Let me check. Make sure I got my facts straight. <laughs> the 1971. <laughs> <laughs> Dystopian crime film. Adapted, produced, and directed by Stanley Kubrick. Based on the Anthony Burgess 1962 novel of the same name. Hmm. A clockwork orange clockwork orange i thought i said it before i started saying all the other things i'm genuinely not sure there was just I, this it, went, space. it went on so long i was like i'm not sure leave it leave it all in we are covering a clockwork orange thor's recommendation uh to myself and mccrary as well mm-hmm. mccrary you've seen this but it's been a while yeah the last time i watched it was in a film class surprise surprise in of college course. yeah yeah this is very much a film class type of film oh it's film school like a motherfucker. yeah thor what uh what made you decide to throw this at us well i just honestly i thought it would just be it's one of the things that has been on the list for a while because we had you know discussed things that we've seen haven't seen um and you hadn't seen this so it's been on the list for a while and i didn't have anything else that was really jumping out at me and it's another one of those that it's like i wanted to revisit it 
because a little bit of history with me having seen this movie last time i saw it i was probably 17 or 18 okay so close to 20 years and as a teenager i got real into the punk scene and this is kind of like one of the films that's like mandatory viewing at least in the early 2000s with like all the punk the kids i was hanging out with sure um, it, there are a lot of ties like the punk community kind of really loves this movie uh generally um so this was kind of like just mandatory viewing which is how i ended up watching it yeah well this movie has a pretty big following like a, a pretty big i don't know if you'd call it a cult following I it's think very it, much yeah. yeah um so i was very intrigued watching it because you know i haven't seen it and i knew that it was kind of a big hubbub so anytime that that's the case i'm definitely intrigued to find out what all the hubbub is about and like what has made it such a classic in those minds. I don't know what I was expecting. It certainly was not this film. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anything can prepare you for this film. It's unlike really anything else. Yeah. Number one, it's a Kubrick film and they are all a unique experience in themselves. But then, yeah, just the, everything that happens in this movie just catches you off. It really does. Yeah, I had to watch it in a couple sittings. Oh, actually. I bet. Okay. Um, I did not sit down and and watch this one time through. This like, wasn't family time viewing. No, you know <laughs> it. It really wasn't. I, you know, all the the Ludwig Van. I think the, Freya would really get into that. You know, oh, maybe yeah. teach her a little culture. Who doesn't love a little Ludwig Van, my brother? Yeah, a little Ludwig Van. I mean, that's okay <laughs> as audio <laughs> on its own. Sure, sure, but. You know, I just, I'm happy for two things. One, I'm happy that I put my daughter to sleep before I watch this. Yeah. And I'm also happy that my daughter doesn't recognize what this is at all. So if she were to see it, really, it wouldn't have any type of impact. Yeah. This movie's a little bit uncomfortable. A little bit. Uh, to watch. Yeah. It's very uncomfortable it's very to watch. Uncom- I think on multiple levels, too. Yes. Um, A, the subject, subject material is challenging to say the least i don't know if it's because of the time it was filmed in i don't know if it's specifically because it's kubrick genuinely i think it's just kind of hard to watch at some points like it it's like drags in certain places yeah certain parts kind of feel like a slog and i think that i think that a lot of those scenes are very much on purpose that that was like a directorial decision because he like kubrick wanted you to sit in that shit like the the scene where the that other gang within the cam, the camo gang uh, are attempting to rape that girl the and Dvachka. you that yeah and you have to watch them just force her and basically tire her out yeah and it is so uncomfortable yeah. it, and it is so long yeah folks make make no mistake this this film dives into like uh, serious violence they call it ultra violence is kind of their term for it um some serious criminality and some like uh, serious sexual abuse of women yeah. um it doesn't directly show it entirely but i mean it's it leaves very little to the imagination it's a tough watch it, yeah. it really is if that if that's the type of stuff that like um if, if you're sensitive to if that's something that's gonna like kind of put you on tilt this movie isn't for you it's not i would say not for the faint of heart no it is not an easy film to watch which Man. honestly i probably would have warned you about but i, I <laughs> it's been so long i was like i knew like i remembered a little bit of that but i didn't remember like how 
just like on the news and brutal some of it is yeah so we're gonna talk about it, folks there is a spoiler warning as with everything that we do we're gonna t- i mean the movie's like what 60 years old now? yeah 50 51 years old, years old yeah. so if you haven't watched it i guess go watch it and then come back and listen to it yeah honestly mm-hmm. us talking about it it's probably gonna be more enjoyable than watching the movie but that's not to say those are exactly what my thoughts are about the movie i'm just a kind of concurring with everybody here it was a bit of a tough watch yeah i think there's some real depth to this film yes and i think that that depth can be appreciated after you take a step back from the film Mm -hmm. and look at it but while you're in the thick of it that's a bit much to take in everything in to my understanding is that Kubrick stayed very true to the book, changed very little. And I've heard from multiple people, uh, my cousin Michelle, for example, mm-hmm. um, she loves the novel. Okay. So honestly, I think the novel is probably a more enjoyable experience. I haven't personally read it, but I, I kind of want to the next time I'm, I want to dive into this story. I think I might like download the book, like an audio book or and something, listen to, it. listen to it or read it. Um, is once once again it's it's a film from 1971. It's not, it's dated and it feels like it. Sure. And I I don't know if I would want to sit through this again. Not to say it was a bad movie or there weren't enjoyable parts about it or interesting parts at the very least. But yeah, certainly, uh, yeah, I think you may be better off just reading the book or just <laughs> listening to us talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So it all follows this guy named Alex. And it's in this weird dystopian kind of mm-hmm. kind of nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. Yeah, the book was written in nineteen sixty two and uh it's like a dystopian near future where essentially a like totalitarian government is kind of taken over England. Yeah. And there's been like debate as to is the society communist, is it socialist, is it fascist? And Kubrick, in multiple interviews, always kind of avoided directly saying that. Cop out, because it's I. It's not really the I, It's not really the point of it, you know. Because he's like basically his point of view is like all that shit. It's just a different flavor of shit. You know what I mean? Like that's not what the story's about. Is it doesn't matter if it's a fascist or if they're communist or if they're socialist. It kind of has elements of all of that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. and it it's it really is more of a story about this character than anything at first when the movie started i thought we were getting something like the warriors that's what it kind of at the beginning seemed like to because me. it's very lawless and all these gangs just going about doing what they want to do yeah they're all very unique gangs with yeah. their own look yeah i was like okay so we're getting like a, a warriors type of thing where these gangs are fighting each other and it very quickly becomes not that yeah. no this is this story is about it's really a question of the importance of free will and kind of a a constant like lecture on liberty and and choice. So around the time that he wrote that novel, um, psychology was having like this kind of like renaissance, and there it was the uh, the beginning of like behavioral psychology and specifically aversion therapy. And there was these these two guys who wrote a book specifically on aversion therapy, um, and they said essentially like if we could perfect aversion therapy we could create a perfect society Hmm. and burgess's point of view was 
these two guys have written this book about aversion therapy and about uh, reaction to stimulus, and it's one of the most dangerous books that's ever been written. And mm. so this was honestly a direct response to behavioral therapy. Because this is the era where we were, I believe, where we were getting experiments like with the uh, with mice where they would, you know, put uh, like, a, I think, cheese in with a mouse. And every time the mouse would get too close, it would have to walk onto a plate that would shock it and like see how long it would take the mouse to realize that I, I can't go over there and like then make the mouse whenever it thinks of cheese, thinks of pain. And no longer wants the cheese sure. kind of thing. And this is the era of like MK Ultra. MK Ultra. And, and even yeah. though that stuff wasn't really known at the time, those ideas were around. Yeah. So was Pavlov and Pavlov's dogs that behavioral? I'm not entirely sure. I'm a dumb dumb sack. So. Pa- pa- Pavlov, <laughs> so, it was the, the experiment where uh, it was the experiment where the guy uh, Pavlov he trained the he trained dogs to um, he whenever he would was about to feed them he would ring a bell, and basically he he watched them salivate and like that was the whole point of the experiment was to convince these dogs that whenever you rang a bell it was time to eat yeah it was like conditioning yeah oh that's right it was classical conditioning yeah 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 so this was a direct response to that type of stuff coming about and as well as when you talk about kind of like the totalitarian aspect of the government this is also during the height of the cold war Mm -hmm. and that's kind of probably a lot of the reason so a lot of Alex's language, and I think this is part of the reason that can make the movie kind of hard to watch, is he uses all this, like, like he speaks in this weird, like, cockney rhyming and, like, silly, says, like, silly nonsense words, and then it's mixed with, like, like Slavic Eastern European language stuff. Like, droogs and droogies is what he calls his gang. Yeah, that's, um, like, what, friends? That's, like, a Russian word for friends. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he says, calls, uh, every girl he calls them devotchkas, but... It's so he's he talks so goofy. It's like it's fun, but it's so weird and hard to follow because it'd be like, I was eating my eggy wigs and I got popped on the Gulliver, and then me and my flim flums went in the goopy boys. And yeah, it's yeah. like, what the <laughs> fuck did you just say? <laughs> Dude. I just accounted that to they were Mike, British. <laughs> did you look up anything about this movie before or after? Um so I watched a video that just discussed uh, kind of the philosophy behind the film after watching the video. Did you realize, after watching the movie. Did you realize who the main character is, Alex? What actor that yeah. is? Not until I started right. watching the film. I had no fucking idea that this was Malcolm McDowell. Oh, really? I had That's no awesome. idea. A young, handsome Malcolm McDowell. He honestly looks like Evan Peters. Dude, that's so fucking weird. I was watching it, <laughs> and I thought to myself, if they ever do a remake, Evan Peters should be Alex. I swear I thought For the exact sure. yeah, same thing. Yeah, no, they look... The similarity is striking. Who's Evan Peters? Uh, American Dahmer. Horror Story, Quicksilver... Oh, in the, okay. In the good, uh, quick, the good Quicksilver. Yeah, sure. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that it was him. Usually, while I'm watching a movie, I'll go. I'm gonna check out IMDb and just kind of like peruse that while yeah. I'm watching the film. And I saw that, and I'm like, that's Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> and I looked at it. The Malcolm McDowell from Tank Girl. Yeah, the Hands one and only. <laughs> His great claim to fame, Tank Girl. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? But then he's got this kind of grin through the movie. Mm-hmm. And when he does that grin, I'm like, ah, I see it. Like at that point, I see it. But I've seen posters of this. I've seen movie jackets of this for forever. 
and never in my life did it click that that's who that was. Oh, ever, wow. ever. Uh, so yeah, it, that was that was kind of nuts <laughs> to to see that and recognize that that it was just a young Malcolm McDowell. That was wild. Yeah. yeah and so the story kind of picks up. It, this movie takes place in like two parts, basically. Like yeah. the first half of the movie is Alex is a young. Uh, he's a young ruffian. He's a hooligan. He's a criminal. Him he and is, his buddies. He's evil, straight through and through. Very evil. Yeah. No, he is genuinely the personification of evil, and that's Kubrick's words. People have said, "Oh, he's meant to represent the innocent human," and Kubrick's like, "No, he no. is. He's a sociopath. He is evil. He recognizes that he's evil. He does become a bit of a likable character." Because he's he's smart and he's charming and he's kind of funny and he has all this energy and eventually he does really get the shit under the stick and he gets you know really used by <clears throat> these different forces for their own purposes, but ultimately at the end of the day he is just evil. There's nothing in this movie that is enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not to say that it's not a good film. I'm just saying there's nobody to root for. Ever agreed. In there's this. no good guys. Yeah, no. there's there's nobody to root for, even when uh, he does have the aversion therapy happen to him, and he's seems like it's on the up and up. There's the whole philosophy behind it, where he's on the up and up because he literally can't take the actions that he wants to take. It yeah, removes the choice from the character. Yeah, but he still wants. He to. He still wants to. Exactly. Like when he almost punch. He wants to punch Joe when he goes back to his parents' house, but he can't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's the only good characters in this movie is his parents and the guy, Joe, who moves in one when, when he goes to jail for murdering a lady with a giant penis statue. Yeah, I don't even think his parents are good people. I think I th- they're pieces of shit. Yeah, I think personally, <laughs> I think in a way he's a product of his upbringing. OK, because they're absent. They're, they're kind of like... completely absent from his yeah. life. And... OK, so Joe, Joe is the only good character. Well, you I... know, the funny thing is, I kind of feel like Joe is a weird cult leader and has taken control of his, of his parents, too. <laughs> no, okay. he loved it. He's just like his parents. He's like he's trying to be a good guy. He's I'm like... pretty sure he was having sex with both of them. Yes. Oh, my God. I got <laughs> pretty... that vibe, too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. That that's... <laughs> Dude, no, I don't believe it. Not Joe. <laughs> Joe. Not Joe. Joe is fucking his pink-haired mom <laughs> All right. every Some, day. Something really weird, and maybe we can get into this a little bit more as we get through the narrative if we decide to go that route, but what is up with him going away for two years, and then when he comes back, every building that he's been into so far has just been invaded by a buff dude. There's just buff dudes that everywhere. That's true. There's a lot of buff dudes around once he comes once back. Once he comes back, yeah, because he comes back to his home, and like when he comes back to his home, his parents have rented out his room, gotten rid of all of his shit. Well, I guess the police technically got rid of all yeah, his stuff. Yeah, they took all of his stuff. And the but, snake died. Yeah, and the snake died. But then when he went to the um, to the the author, ha- the house that he assaulted the mm-hmm. people in, there's just some dude bench pressing, some younger guy. It's never explained who this guy is. He's just in the he's just in the place. Yeah, I, I got the vibe I that that was, was the caretaker. Lover. Oh, the lover. <laughs> that makes sense. Lover slash caretaker. No, they. It definitely felt like because. They, they kind of recreate the f- scene from the beginning yeah. yeah, um, where the guy's sitting at his typewriter and he's like, hey, honey. But this time he says, hey, whatever the guy's name is. And you hear this weird sound and it just ends up being this guy pumping iron in short shorts. Yeah, you hear like heavy breathing. Yeah, because yeah, you hear the <gasps> the second time around and then the guy's just like, I wonder who that could be. Yeah, but that's we'll we'll get there. 
we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll work through the narrative a little bit. So it it basically opens with Alex, who's, uh, once again, he's a ruffian. He's just a bad guy. And it opens with them drinking milk at the milk bar. It's this drugged up milk that they get high and energized on. I'm not going to lie. I would go to that milk bar. If that existed, I would definitely check it out. It's these weird mannequins with pubic hair and, and like anatomically correct genitals it's so weird and they get the milk out of the nipples of these weird statues slash mannequin things all the furniture is them too like the, yeah. the 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 tables there are women like statues of women basically that are kind of crab walking yeah they're like milk white yeah and again with the genitals and with the uh like they're completely nude this this movie has a lot of nudity mm-hmm. all right so if that's not your bag this is definitely not your your milk yeah, bag. Yeah, no, they definitely. Uh, it's definitely not your milk bag. But and he's narrating through the whole movie too. He says he's your your humble narrator. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of describing what life is like. Yeah. So at the they beginning. get all, yeah they get all hopped on up hopped up on milk and they're like let's go on a spree. So first they go and find uh. Uh, find just an old man and he's like it's this drunk old guy homeless old singing. Irish guy and he's like you know what pisses me off is when old drunkies start singing and being old and drunk nothing pisses me <laughs> off more so they just beat the shit out of this old guy for no reason for no, no reason re- yeah it's not like the drunk guy was bothering them. just a bit of the ultra violence yeah just a bit of the, I, I, th- I think that that is another thing that leads a lot of people to like the idea that this is a totalitarian uh, government that they're living in because if you notice all of the all of the homeless people are very old and like i believe that in totalitarian governments like once you've ro- once your use has run out you just put out to pasture yeah, basically certainly. yeah so like all of the all all of the elderly people are homeless basically, more or less yeah. um yeah so they beat him up and then they go and they find old uh billy boy and billy boy and his gang are attempting to uh, rape a woman he says oh billy boy and his friends they was occupied with a devotchka trying to give her the old in out oh the old is, in and out yeah the old yeah. in out is what they call uh rape good old <laughs> rape joy yeah Ugh. uh sarcasm well, folks. And, here, and here's the thing <laughs> please understand and, sarcasm and it's honestly kind of this this interesting thing <clears throat> that i don't know if it's intentional but so billy boy and his friends are um, they have this girl fully naked. They're grabbing at her. You know, they're attempting. They're about to assault her. And then um, Alex and the Droogies, they come in and they're like, "Hey, Billy Boy, what are you doing? Just looking for a fight. They just want to fight him." So they kind of, and then the girl gets away. So it's almost like they kind of save this girl. Mm-hmm. And they fight Billy Boy and the friends. It's just a, you know, a good old fashioned brawl. They beat the shit out of them. Yes. They're yeah. like jumping off a stage yeah, and like hitting there was a straight up there. drop kick at one point. <laughs> I loved that. It was actually a pretty cool fight scene. It was actually. Yeah, I enjoyed oh. that part. And then after that, they steal a fast car and they're driving and then they go and just, you know, uh, what they call it? Uh, a quick. Su- oh, we decided we wanted to go do a quick surprise visit. Yeah, yeah. is what they called uh, breaking and entering. A home invasion. A home yeah. invasion. Yeah, they knock on the door, <laughs> and this lady's like, uh, "There's a writer. This guy, he's a writer, and him and his wife are home." And they knock on the door, and she's like, uh, "What's wrong?" And he's like, "Oh, my friend's bleeding and dying in the street. Can you let us in? I just need to use the telephone." And she's like, "No." And the husband's like, "Let him in." And so as soon as she opens the door, they all just come in through the door. Immediately. 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 Um, and then he 
uh, they proceed to beat the man, tie him up. And while he's tied up, then they start cutting his wife's clothes off and then, you know, presumably uh, sexually assault her. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole while, Malcolm McDowell's character, Alex, is is singing uh, the song Singing in the Rain. I think this was the this was the first scene of the film that was uh, super challenging and purposely uncomfortable. Like I think that this was the first time in the movie where you really gotta work mentally to get through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you really see the depths that he is a sociopath. Yeah, because he is singing and laughing, singing in the rain. Yeah, I'm singing in the rain, and he's cutting with a pair of scissors mm-hmm. this guy's wife's clothes off. And he he punctuates and, the end of every line with either kicking the guy in the gut while he's down, or slapping the wife in the face, or something. Br- yeah, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it. They are literally just brutally assaulting these people. Yeah, that wasn't the first time that it was uncomfortable for me. Though. Oh, no, not yet. Yeah, definitely when, not. What, then I'm, and I'm not saying, like, for me, honestly, that very first scene where they're trying to get the girl ripping her clothes off and trying to assault her, that was uncomfortable Uncomfortable for me. Oh, yeah, that was a longer and, scene. Because it, it yeah. just it doesn't pan away at all. It's just the camera's fixed on them, like, ripping her clothes off, and she is, like, fighting like hell to not have what is basically inevitably going to happen happen and it's it's not like it's a five second clip it goes on for like 10 15 20 seconds without anything yeah and, and you're right you're right that is this, the first this film faced a lot of criticism when it came out um but one reviewer specifically basically called kubrick a glorified pornographer oh wow because of that scene They were like, it was drawn out and it was just intended to be titillating. Now to his, you know, from his perspective, he said it wasn't, it was intentional. And like you said, it's kind of meant to make you sit in uncomfortability. But certainly one of the critics, like a lot of critics, their criticism specifically of that scene was that it went on way too long, way longer than necessary to make the point. I think, I think that is the, and we'll, we'll get into it later when, when, you know, when Alex goes through what he does, but in a way I feel like a lot of the scenes in the movie are supposed to be the person watching, going through exactly what Alex went through. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Cause it's like, that. you have to watch, don't look away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that they were long. I, I don't, were they too long? I think really any of that is too long. I, th- I think <laughs> that, that it's, I don't think that it was supposed to be snuff piece i like certainly that. wasn't titillating I, no yeah i don't i don't think that that was the intention i think that it was meant to be uncomfortable and i think the long pans like there was no artistic uh cutoff there was no artistic cropping or the camera no sliding to the left and you only hearing things there was none of that the camera was just there you got to watch this this is what's happening yeah. this mm-hmm. is how the world is it's an uncomfortable situation yeah. but i think that without those things you you have that extreme end, and I think that that helps justify the opposite extreme as far as the the way that they approach that that aversion therapy and kind of like you can understand why they would say this can't happen, right? Because because mm-hmm. the way the aversion therapy that they put them through is I would say equally awful. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, not equally awful, but awful. And, but at the same time, you're like, well, he did kind of do this and he did kind of do this and he did this. And all of those things were pretty freaking bad. So 
it's, I don't know. I don't know. I think that it, it uses those uncomfortable things to justify things later in the movie. Sure. I could see that. And, yeah. and it kind of, it does pose the question of does like, does all of do does doing all of that justify doing something like this to a human being sure. as well? And it makes you, it kind of makes you question where, where the line is and whether or not some doing something like that to someone and changing their brain is the right way to go. And does it, and it's, is it really changing the person or is it, there's so much that's ultimately the question of this story i think is how important is free will is it worth taking away somebody's free will if when given the option they will only do the worst thing i don't know if there's an answer to that but i think i from like watching the movie that's kind of what i took away from it yeah Um, for sure because essentially and then here's the craziest thing is after this night like once again they beat this man till you'll see him later in the movie to the point of being paralyzed sexually assault his wife in front of him singing in the rain the whole time and then they go home go to bed he wakes up the next morning and his mom his mom knocks on the door and she's like alex you're gonna miss school (laughs) and he's like mom my head hurts again i gotta i i'm gonna take the day Ferris Bueller's he's day off. He's in high school. Yeah. He's yeah. doing this. He's in high school. That, that You're right. They hold that information back because you don't think that this is some like 16-year-old. You doing get that yeah, he's young, but he's not sure. a high school student? Yeah. It's insane. I mean, and then he has the weird, is his weird like a... Uh, like a guidance counselor? Parole, or parole? I think it's like Was a parole a... officer because officer, he's been in trouble before is that not the weirdest person you've ever seen? He was a little odd. He was yes. a, he was an Uncle Touchy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he has this molesty type of parole officer, wants to keep him out of trouble. Um, and then, essentially, they just keep doing crimes. The the, the Droogs, the gang, they want to start doing bigger scores and get more money, and they want more, they want more say-so in the gang. And so Alex essentially, like, cuts them and beats the shit out of them to, like, assert his dominance. But then he's like, okay, we should still do this idea for this bigger job that you wanted to do, yeah. which is robbing this cat lady and this health lady. He ends up breaking in, and uh, he kills her with a giant <laughs> penis sculpture. As you do. She fights back, you know. and he just just murders her with a giant penis sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, the police come, and as he goes to run out the door, the droogs hit him in the, over the head with bottles of milk. And leave him there for the police. Yeah. And the movie takes, I think, a pretty big turn at that point. And that's kind of the first half of the movie. I, I It's actually less than half of the movie, but that's like part yeah. one. And then part two is when you get into the really interesting stuff, I think. Like, yeah. like at least story-wise, story, story wise, morally-wise. You, yeah. you start getting into the meat and potatoes of what the story's about. Yeah, I'd go as far as to say it's like a, it's like three acts because you got that the middle section is what we're up to now, but then there is like the post-that. Oh, that is Like true, after yeah. his therapy, like going back into the world and what that is like for someone who's been through that shit. For sure, yeah. So he goes to prison. It sucks. He gets he sentenced gets... to 14 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, after two, they're like, there's this new therapy that uh makes you good basically yeah and while you get out while he's Mm. in the prison i mean he's still not a good person oh my god i love this part so he becomes like buds with the chaplain yeah you know the priest essentially 
And one of my favorite scenes in this movie to kind of go into like, kind of shows you the inner workings of what's fucked up inside him is he's talking about like, he's trying to be a good boy. He wants to get out of prison early. So he's been reading the Bible and he's studying the Bible. But when he reads the Bible, he imagines himself as the soldier whipping Jesus. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. And he's like, you know, I love the parts of the Bible where they're killing each other and chopping up babies and stuff. I really hate the boring parts later when it's all love and salvation. Yeah, he's, he's basically saying that he loves the Old Testament with all of the war and things that went on there. But like the New Testament, it's like, eh, it's not really for me. It's kind of boring. Yeah, There's not enough killing. So it's like, Sequels never live up to so it. Like, <laughs> except for that part where they whipped Christ. I, that I, was cool. He loved that part. <laughs> it just i love that scene because it really sure it really yeah. dives you know he's a bad guy yeah because i know but you think maybe he's redeemable in some aspects i think a little bit but it's like no this guy is just yeah well and also something is a screw loose he's yeah. just evil and like you were saying he's very much a sociopath and once he's in jail he begins to play the game immediately and that's why he is pretending to be as good as he's, you know, he's wearing a suit and he's friends with the chaplain and he's trying to be the model citizen or the model inmate, you know. But at the same time, then they give you that scene where he's imagining himself in the Bible. And that's what, and then you're like, oh, no, he's no different. Like he is right. just, he is just playing this game because he knows how to play people. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he's going to the chaplain. I just want to be good. They say it'll make you good and you won't want to do crime no more. I think that I may have said that nobody's good in this in this movie or likable. And that may be true. I think that they're I think honestly the chaplain is the only legitimate good person in this entire film. He's probably the closest, yeah. yeah. I mean I still think Joe is, but I will but if you say Joe's not, a piece of shit. Okay, I look, I don't <laughs> I accept your opinion, but I, I would Joe. agree, yes, the chaplain. Yes. The chaplain is Yeah. I can see your point on Joe. I I'm not there, but I, I see it. <laughs> I'm projecting, but with, the, but with the chaplain, I definitely, I agree, yeah, yeah. for sure. So it turns out that he gets accepted into this aversion therapy, and is it the the minister who comes to the prison and selects the uh, selects the candidate? Yeah, it's like a high ranking political. I thought it was like some kind of like a governor or yeah, it was somebody in the government. That, the bald guy with the the kid the, the horseshoe. The guy hair. in the office he talks to is the governor, and then the yeah. guy who comes is like, yeah, he's like some kind of like minister, like prime minister oh, yeah. type yeah, thing, yeah. a high ranking, you know, official in the military. Yeah. Once again, they never really give you details about the government. And it well, and and that, at that point, that's when you find out that the government, rather than paying to make bigger prisons to hold more people, that's why they want to try this therapy so that they can just take people in, run them through the therapy, put them back out into the world. Like that's their yeah. goal. Well, and essentially they they actually specifically say this, their point of view is this. They're like all these young hooligans and ruffians, they're not going to change. They just come to prison and they learn how to be better yes. criminals. Yeah. They don't want to change. They can't change. So let's do this therapy so we can change them 
and force them to be good. And then that frees up the prison for all these uh, political prisoners with their subversive ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, essentially, that's they say it outright. We need to free up the prisons because we're about to be locking up a bunch of people who don't like the government. Yeah, if you're against the party, we're going to throw you in here. Yeah, so we need to get these criminals out of here. We need to get these guys because there's no hope for them. We can't reform them. So when, when he gets chosen, he, he goes to this new area, and it's more like a mental institution than it is a mm-hmm. prison. And they feed him. They make sure that he's getting nutrition and everything. The nurse treats him real nice. Yeah. And so then he kind of feels like, you know, this is a lot better than the prison. I'm on my way out, folks. Like, this is this is not so bad. I've played the game. I have won, essentially. And then they come in and they need to give him a shot. And he's like, oh, what's this? My vitamins? And they're like, well, yeah, kind of. He really has got, he's so likable. It's so funny. He's so likable when he talks. Yeah. Like, regardless <laughs> of his actions, no. But when he talks, he is a very likable He's got man. a charm to him. He's charming for I, sure. I have known people like that where when you are around them, you can't help but enjoy their company. But then when you hear stories about them as people when they're not around, you're like, what a piece of shit. I know exactly who you're talking about. We won't say their name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> after the show i want to hear if, if you're right um and and what is it exactly do they ever say or explain what it is that they inject into him because they basically make him turn around they give him a shot in the butt and then they start doing the aversion therapy well it's it, the, 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 that serum i think is like one of the catalysts for the change in him isn't it like that's, that's the is. thing that starts yeah, making him sick yeah so it's like the serum that essentially I, I don't know exactly what it does, but it causes like fear and yeah. paralysis. It probably and starts... the feeling of death. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so... then and then when he starts to have those feelings, that's why they're forcing all those videos onto him. Yeah, so that his brain starts putting those together. Yeah, so they they basically strap him down after they give him this uh, these vitamins. They strap him down. What the, you mean vitamins? Vitamin. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the vitamins. Um, they strap him down. They give it to him with his eggy waggies. Yeah. His eggy waggies. <laughs> A bit of eggy wags. I really, My goal of is a bit that was knocked up now. <laughs> not, not a fan of the vernacular of this film. Uh, well, I kind of was. I don't it know. Was, it was done intentionally by uh, the author. The author said he did it intentionally. Um, it was kind of a mix of, once again, there's like kind of like Slavic, uh, Eastern European type slang and stuff. And they it was specifically so that it would stay relevant in the future. Oh, like, so so it would age, so it wouldn't feel dated. That's kind of cool. So don't they like didn't use just the vernacular of the time? Yeah, so it's a made up future speech. Yeah, um, intentionally so that it didn't sound dated. They don't talk like people talked in the 1960s. They don't talk like anybody. Right. But it it it, it was an intentional choice. So if we read the book now, you wouldn't be like it. Clearly, sure. sounds like somebody yeah. talking because he's 1960s. not saying hip and rad and I dig it. Yeah, anything exactly. like that. Yeah, hep cat. That's pretty cool. Um, I think that's a cool choice artistically to throw that in there. Uh, so they, yeah, they they strap him down in a chair. They force his eyeballs open. Ooh, I hate that. Those little clamps. Yeah, with clamps that do not allow his eyelids to close. Ooh. And then there's somebody sitting right next to him, just with eye drops, just making sure his eyes stay nice and moist as they show him videos of rape, of the Holocaust. Of all of these horrible, horrible things. There's that yeah. long scene where he just watches a dude get beaten bloody. Yeah. And at first he's enjoying it. And, and he narrates 
the change when suddenly he starts to feel sick and now he doesn't want to watch this anymore. Yeah, yeah and once again, it's the this theme of ultra violence. That's what they're showing him is mm-hmm. ultra violence. And they're also the whole time they're playing uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. A little bit of the Ludwig van. A little yeah. bit of the Ludwig and, van. And that is something that we haven't touched on yet. For all of the horribleness that this guy has done and, and pursues, for some reason, he loves Beethoven. Mm-hmm. And when this happens and he's seeing these horrible things and he's starting to get these horrible feelings, it kind of makes me chuckle. Honestly, when I was watching it, I chuckled a little bit because he starts screaming and they're like, what's wrong? And he's like, it's just not right. It's just not right to be playing Beethoven or Ludwig van to this stuff. <laughs> he's like, what did he ever do? <laughs> it's, it's just not right. Yeah. yeah. He loves Ludwig. Oh, interesting part about that scene so two things. One, that machine that like held his eyelids open. Yeah. Um, he actually during the filming of that scratched his cornea and was blind for a period of time. Oh my oh. god! And the person dropping eye drops into his eyes was an actual doctor. Oh yeah. Huh. And those were actual eye drops because they were genuinely worried about his eyes dropping. Oh, wow. So that's literally an actual, not an actor, just an actual doctor putting eye drops in his eyes. Huh. Let me tell you, my daughter has scratched my cornea has cut my cornea with her fingernail. It's brutal. It was one of the worst pains I've ever felt. Ever. I had that when I was a kid. I got my cornea scratched. It was awful. It was awful. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We were talking about Ludwig Van and the ultra violence being shown to him. I felt like it was also... This is the conditioning. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it makes it even better. Honestly, it's this like poetic justice that the one thing that this guy truly loves that isn't evil is now taken away from him and it is now a source of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Because basically after this happens and it, it's like, what, two weeks of this? Yeah. We don't see so. all two weeks of it. We see a couple of instances. Yeah. But basically two weeks every day, they're giving him this drug that makes him feel intense fear and pain and sickness like he's gonna die and they're showing him these horrible images yeah. which a normal him would be like oh that's awesome it's great yeah um now what will happen is he will associate you know violence and and sexual depravity and uh any anything you know socially unacceptable he'll it, make him physically ill and make mm-hmm. him feel like retching or dying yeah and in kudos with to malcolm mcdowell in these scenes because man the facial expressions a lot of like a lot of what he is feeling we just get through facial expressions on him as he's watching this stuff and the way his face contorts and his mouth hangs open and it's like it's really visceral the way he reacts to everything i think it really drives it yeah for sure um something that hit me at this point in the movie like this is really where it started to hit me that nobody's really good in this movie, mm-hmm. um, save the chaplain and arguably what's his name Joe Joe, Joe. yeah arguably Joe also the parent uh, the parents I get they're not good but I don't I don't think they're actively bad I think no they're just, they're yeah, just shitty parents yeah I would agree yeah, with I, that I think they're just absent yeah and defeated. Yeah, yeah, because so, they live in this totalitarian it, system. And, yeah. In any case, yeah. sorry. But, um, but, but with that, I think it's interesting that they introduce, um, they introduce Alex and his his gang, initially with the beating up of the old man, but then when something like the assault is happening, they come in 
and they fight the guys trying to do this assault. To me, it feels like I, I was watching this and I'm like, oh, okay, so there's like a limit to them where like that's not okay. Right. But that wasn't the case. No. They just wanted to pick a fight. Because then immediately right? they do the same thing, but probably yeah. worse. You so, know? so they do this thing where like, yeah, they're a gang, all right? And they're like anti-hero type things, like, but but they have their limits. Oh, no, they don't have their limits, yeah. all right? Like, like, actually, I was just subverted in my expectations mm-hmm. of, of what these guys can do. And the same thing happens with the people doing the aversion therapy. Because I'm watching this, and they're like, okay, these are awful things that they're doing to him, but they're doing it because they want him to be better, and they care for him, and they want him to be better. Right? But then immediately after he's ready and cured, they basically flip the switch. They bring in their political buddies, and then they put him on display, literally on a stage, to show the effectiveness of their techniques. And when they put him up there, they're like, this is him. All right, he's not going to do those horrible things anymore. In fact, he can't do those horrible things anymore. The only person that stands up and says it's not right is the chaplain yeah. because he says the exact same things that we've kind of been echoing. Like they took away his choice. And earlier in that, the chaplain is the one who says you probably shouldn't do this because goodness comes from within. And if you don't have that choice, then you're not a – he says you're not a man. Yeah, but yeah that like, was his exact words. You're yeah. not a person if you don't have free will. Yeah, so so he's recognizing that they've taken that free will away from him. and But the people who are like, this is going to be – he says, this is going to be your Christian. This is going to be the guy who would rather be crucified than do the crucifying. And then they have somebody come out on stage, say hi, and then just hit him. And try to antagonize him and get a fight out of him. It makes him lick his boot. Yeah. Yeah, makes... he just chokes him with his, like, they get Alex down, this guy, he puts his boot on his throat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we all know Alex. We've seen the things he he's done. Right. He, You know that in his brain what he wants to do is attack this guy. But instead he has to just lick this guy's boot. Yeah. And the whole time we're getting this nasty, like, like he's he's like dry heaving the whole time because you're like you're saying, you know what he wants to do, but he physically is ill thinking about doing what he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. So they they do that for violence. And then they're like, all right, thank you very much. And the weirdest thing about this situation. Applause. They applause. And the dude bows. Yeah. Like he just put on a play like. And then he because just, they have him come out behind a curtain, even. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so bizarre. And so he leaves, and then this naked woman comes out, this super smoking hot chick, and they're trying to, like, test his sexual depravity now. So they've already, you know, proven that violence isn't something that he's capable of. How about this sexual depravity? And the exact same thing happens. She basically not throws herself at him, but she's completely nude. Stands in front of him. Stands in front of him, and he's like, ooh, right? Mm-hmm. And then he, he goes to reach, and he immediately drops, starts convulsing, starts choking and, and retching again. And the whole time that it's happening, the narrator's like, you know what I want to do. You guys know I'd like the good old In-N-Out right now. <laughs> A bit of the I want to reach up there grab them tchotchkes, boys. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And <laughs> yeah, so... But then he can't, and then she... You know, they say thanks, and then she bows, backs away, bows again, 
and yeah and she like she's very much like oh thank you so much you know like you yeah. can just see that like just with her body language is like oh th- I, it was nothing it's a very weird very weird scene very it is po- and powerful too yeah um, and then at that point they release him and they're like he's cured we've cured him of criminality it's a very unique concept the writer coming up with this idea and everything it's a very unique concept i think yeah for for lack of a better term i mean because he just can't he physically can't do it they physically cured him do you think um because once again the the question of i I think of this story a lot of time is you know what is the importance of free will um versus the needs of the many things like that um do you think somebody like alex who is purely evil and does horrible things and when given choice will only make the wrong choices Mm mm-hmm do you think it's fitting what they did to him? Is that a fitting punishment? Is that, like, is there fairness in that? I, I mean, I, we can all obviously see the reasoning why. Sure. But can you see any actual fairness in that, you know? For me, I didn't empathize with Alex at all. Even as the movie goes on and we get into these next parts, that, that Alex really does, he has to answer for a lot of the things that he's done in the beginning of the movie it really doesn't phase me at all like i don't i don't feel any empathy for him just because honestly because of those first scenes those you know you don't turn away and you know because you know what the opposite is yeah it's not even a matter of like of like well maybe he would make it he would not make the right choice you know for sure yeah he would only make horrible depraved choices yeah yeah Nobody in this movie cares about actually curing anything, though, too. Like, that's... they. Yeah, it's it's all just uh, ploys for political gain and things like that. Like, no one cares about making people better. They just want to castrate them mentally yeah. and, and so that they can use the prisons for other things and so they can just get rid of some of these, these un, uh, undesirables that they have in these prisons... And it's a it's a weird thing because I felt the same way as you when it came to Alex. Like I I didn't feel bad for Alex because of the awful creature that he was, but at the same time while watching it, I kept feeling like what that therapy does is takes away your ability to defend yourself at all. Like yeah. you are now only a victim. Yeah. Like you cannot stop anything. Yeah. The question is the the therapy is i think unquestionably wrong yes it's like a wrong thing to do to somebody agreed but when you do something unquestionably wrong to somebody who is unquestionably wrong what what is the morality in that you know mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that's the big question of the movie i don't once again i don't think there's an answer it's a, I don't yeah, think it's, it's meant to be i think it's, it's just a, meant to be thought provoking i think agreed yeah for me i don't know how thought provoking it was on my end i i look at it and i think both things can be wrong and more or less just depressed me (laughs) (laughs) it's a very depressing story i'm not like oh man is that this is you know i wasn't thinking it was deep on the sense of like what is the value of right and wrong and, and that type of i'm like nope he sucks but also they suck both of them can suck at the same time like the situation is just not good and I don't like any of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he becomes a pawn because he, he gets left out. Uh, he gets let out. His parents, basically, they've gotten rid of his room. They tell him, we don't want you back. Mm-hmm. He ends up seeing Joe the, says they don't want him back. He ends up seeing back. the old Drugs, right. yeah. uh, Dim and Pete. 
the ones oh, yeah. that he beat up. Yeah, how about the fact that his his hooligan buddies who helped him in in in, in, in doing all these awful things are now police officers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty wild. And they just kick the shit out of him. And then he stumbles his way back to the house of the guy who he, you know, where the home invasion happened. Where he beat up this guy, assaulted his wife in front of him. Um, That guy's now in a wheelchair from the beating they gave him. Yeah, and they reveal that a little bit after, too. Because when the scene starts, he's it's it's the exact same scene. right? It starts the same way as, as what it did when he came to the house the first time yeah he's at his typewriter yeah but instead of getting up and going he like you see oh crap he's in a wheelchair yeah. yeah and they let him in and the guy recognizes him immediately but um, not for the reason he's like yeah he's like i know you well and he, alex is like uh-oh yeah. and he's like you're the boy who's been cured of criminality right yeah. and they're like and he's like yeah and so this guy the the writer He's essentially like a dissident. He's a leftist in opposition to the authoritarian government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so like a labor he party sees type Alex, of guy. And he's like, this guy is our ticket. So once again, it's somebody who's very much like the government's perspective. It's like doing this thing that's perceived as good, but ultimately it's just for he he sees Alex as a pawn to be used the same way the government does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when when he so Instead of his wife going and answering the door, the the jacked uh, bench press buff dude who is now just living there goes and opens the door, and Alex just falls like when the door opens, and he just like you no know, picks him up like a baby and carries him in, <laughs> yeah. and, and he's like, I think this young man needs help. And the the interesting thing about it too is when he went and attacked and assaulted the family, or the husband and wife, they were all wearing masks when they went in there yeah initially. the long nose yes. masks yeah. <clears throat> so that writer has never seen alex's face so he doesn't know who he he didn't he doesn't realize that alex is part of that group that you know assaulted him and his wife he just recognizes him as this basically in his mind's a victim yeah and his light the light switch immediately goes off he's like this is my ticket to smear the government yeah so he's like why don't you go get a shower go get a bath basically and while he goes and gets a bath, he calls his buddies. And he's like, this is the ticket. You guys need to come over here. Um, but while he's taking a bath, he starts singing. Singing in the rain. What a fucking Just idiot. singing <laughs> in the rain. Yeah, I'm watching that. I'm like, you fucking more. You don't. Like, he has done so many surprise visits to people yeah. that he doesn't even remember that when he just like me, like completely obliterated this guy and his wife a couple years ago that he was singing that song in front of him. Exactly. Because, because he's done it so many times. He d- it doesn't even occur to him. Oh, I've sang this song here. Yeah, he might recognize me because he has no care about these people at all. Like to, so that nothing just nothing stays with him about it. Correct. Like, yeah. it, do, it doesn't even dawn on him that something like that would be a problem. I think to quote Bison, it was a horrible day for the writer and his wife but for him it was tuesday Tuesday. (laughs) r.i.p raul julia yeah Yeah, that's perfect yeah and so the writer invites him and his friends over and long story short they drug him they ask him well they're talking to him and they and the lady this like news reporter type lady she ends up asking him uh is there anything else weird with this therapy and he's like i actually i used to love ludwig van 
I still do, but I can't listen to the Ninth Symphony anymore. That's right. It's specifically the Ninth. Specifically right? yeah. the Ninth, which he loved. It was his favorite. Now mm-hmm. I can't listen to it. She's like, oh, that's interesting. Then he falls asleep. They drugged him. <laughs> they lock him in a room. Can can we appreciate? Can we appreciate once the writer like realizes who he is, all of the mean mugs that that writer is sending his way. Dude, that guy is uh, great. <laughs> they got some great facial expressions. That guy had so much FaceTime after that, and just watching him like shake with anger. Dude, have you guys have seen Breaking Bad? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Victor Salamanca. The old guy in the wheelchair yeah. gave me those types. He looked just like that guy when that guy's all old and like, you know, that guy it. can't talk, but it's like the same, the same energy. Yeah. Yeah. It just, man, that guy, he put on a clinic acting wise. He really did. Cause he yeah. would, he would go from anger to like sadness as he's thinking about his wife to anger again. And it's, yeah, it was all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And while that's happening, I'm looking, I'm like, it's very clear that this guy knows who you are, man. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why you're just drinking this wine all nonchalantly. Well, I, I love I lo- the big buff guy. He was like, what was he going to do? That guy would break yeah. him in half. I loved that scene because that was that was awkward in a different way because now he is the victim and he knows it. And he doesn't want to drink the wine, you know? <laughs> right. And he's like, why don't you join me in a glass? Yeah. He's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay. I can't because of my health. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Drink another one. Drink yeah, that another was a one. great. That was a great scene. Like really, the the third part we were talking about once he's released. Also, we forgot at one point he got the old guy that he beat up in the beginning. That guy recognized him, and a group of old oh, yes. homeless people beat the just shit beat out of the him. hell out of him. Like the whole third act is just him getting his comeuppance. He is now the really. victim. Yeah, <laughs> and he can't fight back. Um, so there is something I think gratifying about that because even though I think Alex is a likable character like based on his personality it is nice to see him get a taste of his own medicine because he is oh absolutely does such horrible things it's nice watching him have to squirm and watch him be unable because all these people he victimized they weren't able to defend themselves and now yeah. he's that guy it's yeah it's beautiful to watch yeah yeah so then after he falls asleep they lock him in a room and they're just playing beethoven giant speakers yeah and he cannot take it. He's starting to go nuts. He's physically ill. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to, it's, it's about time that I just end it all boys. Yeah. I love, I love, I love his narrations. Yeah. Um, and I think what he says is he's like, and at this point, and he always calls himself the hum, your humble narrator. Mm-hmm. And he's like, at this point, I hate to admit it, but your humble narrator decided he couldn't go on any longer. And so he tries to jump out the window to kill himself. Yeah. Actually, interesting part about that scene, it was probably the first time this has been done. Uh, Kubrick, for that scene, they essentially built a box to house a camera and then dropped a camera from... That's how they filmed... Because, you know, it's a scene of like... It's supposed to be like a first-person view of Alex jumping from the window, falling to the ground. Mm -hmm. And so they built a box a cage for for a camera and literally dropped it from the window i, huh. I kind of thought that they dropped the camera and but i just assumed that they just paid for a camera to do that because <laughs> because when it hits it kind of rolls a little bit it doesn't just cut to black it kind of rolls yeah before it yeah they build a cage for it and uh reported apparently it lasted uh six takes huh yeah Kubrick wow. was like i was surprised it lasted six takes <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, good old Alex turns out he doesn't off himself. He wakes he's, up in the hospital just uh, in full so body much pain. Cast. I think he's got like a halo on. Mm-hmm. Um, a halo, in case you don't know, we're not talking angel halo. We're talking medical brace halo, uh, which is affixed by screwing screws into your skull yep. to make sure that you can't move your neck. Yeah, it's a real fun time. Great time. <laughs> um, and I kind of love the scene where he wakes up and then it is a back shot of the whole room. And you see that there's another bed next to him, but the curtain is over there. And just and he's moaning. Yeah, he's moaning. And then the nurse just pops out of the curtain. She's shirtless or her shirt's open. Well, well it's too. So it's him moaning and then somebody and then behind the curtain, the curtain. Moaning, and you're yeah. like oh there's another sick person over there and they're yeah. both moaning but yeah the nurse pops out with her tits out and then she's like doctor he's awake it's yeah. a nurse banging because the they're matching moans <laughs> it's the same moan yeah that, that actually that was a very funny scene i like that yeah. yeah that was pretty comical so then basically when he's out the initial party the the minister they kind of use him as again he's being used as a pawn and so they're like no we're gonna make sure that he's well taken care of right now we're gonna make sure that he's happy we're gonna give him everything he needs in there and you know when we say that we're friends um you're gonna we're gonna give you a job you're gonna get nice money something that you enjoy doing and uh, in return maybe you're gonna say that this therapy didn't really have anything to do with what was going on hmm yeah, it really helped you out. This that subversive author. That's what he. That subversive author. He was just trying to use you and make us look bad. He got it in his head that you were somebody who did something very bad to him, which I'm sure you're not. There's no way you hmm. you could have been. You know, because we're your friends. We're good guys. We're we're your friends. Yeah, and that author, he's not gonna bother you ever again. <laughs> and you could watch that. Uh, Alex immediately goes back to play in the game because he recognizes like. Oh, I'm set. Yeah. So he he rolls with it. I have a question though. What did you guys think of the scene before that, where we get the uh, the the psychiatrist showing him pictures and having him fill in the word bubbles? Like, oh yeah. There's a it's a bunch of pictures with the start of a conversation where one character says something and then there's an empty word bubble and he has to tell her what he thinks right. should be there. That to me, um, I think that they gave him a lobotomy. And I think that they were using that to see how it went. Mm. That's what I think. Because he, when she shows up, when that doctor shows up, he goes, I've been having weird dreams. Because I've been having dreams that they've been messing around in my head. I've been having it a lot frequently. Mm. And she's like, ha, ha, ha. well, that's common. <laughs> yeah, people always have <laughs> dreams about doctors working on their heads when yeah. they wake up from coma. It's all part of getting better. And he's the for the rest of the movie, he is kind of like wide-eyed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it seems like McDowell purposely was like holding his eyes open real wide to show yeah. like something's off. Yeah, cuz cuz then when he was responding to the to what the quotes were, that none of them made sense. No, and then he would just burst out laughing at some burst of them. Burst out laughing, it seemed yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, so maybe they got in there. I think they were trying to point out that maybe they went in there and poked around a little bit and tried to continue doing stuff to him. I'm not entirely sure. I, it, honestly, I was a little bit confused by that scene as far as what it, the significance of it actually was. I've thought that. And also that I, the, I wondered if him diving out of the window and slamming his head into concrete 
kind of like reversed some of the shit just because because some of the stuff that he was saying doesn't sound like stuff he should be able to say like some of it was a little angry he would get angry yeah and then he would like but then he would laugh and his like emotions were all over the place yeah yeah that's right he was saying some things that were like a little bit risque yeah yeah he seemed very delighted by the fact that he said those yeah exactly and i wondered like oh does this mean that it's wearing off that it didn't really work yeah and he's back yeah yeah and essentially the, the it ends with them just taking pictures with him like the minister He's just yeah. being used as a pawn, and that's kind of that's like, the end of the movie. They bring in flowers to like yeah. set the stage again big... to set the stage for the audience. Mm-hmm. They bring in flowers, and then all the people come in. Yeah, so basically the whole thing. <clears throat> basically, the moral of the story is everything was useless, and regardless if you're leftist or rightist, it's all bullshit, and they all just want to use uh, people for their own gains, and there really is no good, there really is no bad, everybody's just a shitty, ugly shade of gray. That's kind of the moral of the story, is there's nothing good or happy in the world. It really is. It's very, it's like a very Hobbesian idea of that, like, people at their core are bad, and if we allow people to be people, bad things happen. Yeah. Um, From everything I've gathered... The book in and film are very close. The film stayed very close to the mm. book. Essentially didn't change much of anything. Except for the book was released in America missing the final chapter. The book was originally released in England. I okay. And the, the American version was missing the final chapter. And the final chapter, Alex gets out of the hospital and he actually changes like Hmm. decides to change chooses to be good and why they excluded that chapter is because people felt like it was too flowery and didn't fit the rest of the story i'm gonna have Um, to agree with that but but apparently uh what kubrick said was when he he only ever read the american version didn't know that final chapter existed until he was almost done filming the movie now how much truth that is i who could say but that that was his uh side of the story as to why but in the actual original novel alex decides to be good i feel like to me that is really significant um especially considering the for me the whole movie is about like are you good if you don't have the capability of choosing but you just kind of have to be like Mm -hmm. is, is is that a moral thing it's not really no i don't think that that's being good it and just makes you a shell exactly right. and yeah. so that's that's kind of the the question through this whole thing like that nobody making those decisions is being good nobody's making good quote-unquote decisions um to be genuine and be sincere everybody is doing things out of self-interest yeah so so if he makes that decision at the very end i feel like that to me is saying this is being good. Like this is being not all the crap that the society society is throwing on you. And it's like this aversion therapy and all of this crap that's mm-hmm. saying like, this is how you become good. None of that's real. None of that's true. At the very, very end, he makes that decision. Making the choice is the yeah. only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that would have worked for the film. I kind of, you know, the, the film kind of leaves you with a, I don't know, a definitely a less happy ending yeah um but i i personally like that addition personally but i i am one to like believe in society so so there's that 
maybe i mean i think that maybe for the book that would make sense to like that that would be nice to have that closure i think because of the film being put together the way that it was that that would have been a bit jarring because i i just i think that that is not what the film wanted to tell you. No. And, no. and it's probably because, like you said, Kubrick never read that version, so he didn't go in with that idea at all. Sure. Yeah. Like, everything was supposed... It was supposed to show that, you know, this is all just cyclical. People, like, it's basically like the... What do they call it? The Ouroboros, the snake eating its tail. Like, yeah. everyone is using everyone for their own gains. No one is really good. Everything is just so that you can get ahead, and you say that it's good, but it's... Not really. Like it's just a continuous cycle yeah. of that. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think that. I agree with you. I think it, it's probably good for the book. I don't think it would have been good for the movie. Yeah. yeah. It is nice to get a little bit of that at the end that someone finally actually made a choice, <laughs> and that that is what goodness is. At the same time, though, I don't know. I kind of. <laughs> it does seem a little bit out of character for it. Does. For that character, right? It does, but I also kind of like the bleak ending. <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, would. totalitarianism I, yeah. sucks. That, yeah, that's yeah, the moral yeah. of the story. Yeah, yeah. Fascist, communist, socialist doesn't matter. Left, right doesn't matter. Totalitarian, take a hike. Yeah, I guess you know it really mean? is liberty. A... Like it's a, it's an anthem for liberty, really. Yeah, I, um, get, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of. Um, <laughs> kind of. I, I may have been overstating it's an that. A anthem little bit. for liberty, kind of. Maybe. maybe. A clockwork orange. An anthem for liberty. Yes. <laughs> Thor Jolly. <laughs> I honestly don't even know what those words mean, but it felt right. I want yeah. you to write that essay, and then I will recommend it on this podcast. <laughs> uh, um, uh, let's talk a little bit about the controversy, though. We can go there. Sure. So obviously. When this came out in the seven, like 1971, mm-hmm. uh, it made some waves, boys. <laughs> Wasn't it banned for like 20 years? Here's a few things. Few it, things. It because it, it caused a lot of waves. It had very mixed reviews. Some people hailed it as brilliant. Uh, I would say probably based on what I've seen, the majority of people did not think it was brilliant. They called it a mess. That it was a uh, let's see, uh, Ebert. From Siskel and Ebert gave it two stars out of four, calling it an ideological mess. Hmm. Oh. I mean, I could see where he's coming from. Yeah. And then once again, people basically called him a bad pornographer. Some and some people hailed it as visionary and brilliant. They I would say they were probably in the minority. In the United States, it was given an X rating in its original release. Wow. So it was uh, in 1972. That's wild. So did they change anything to lower it to an yeah. R? Kubrick replaced approximately 30 seconds, 30 seconds of sexually explicit footage from two scenes with less explicit action to get an R rating to re-release later in 72. Wow. Um, huh. Because of the explicit sex and violence... The National Catholic Office for Motion Pictures, so basically the Catholic Church's Motion Pictures Association, they gave it, they rated it C. Do you know what C is for? Cool. Close. (laughs) Condemned. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was close. A rating which forbades Roman Catholics from seeing the film. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, apparently the Catholics used to have their own film rating department. They probably weren't thrilled about that Bible scene. I don't know. I wonder, 
what the other ratings are. That's the most surprising thing. I didn't really like <laughs> condemn. What a cool, what a cool rating. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the Catholics Ra- don't fuck around. Yeah. Dude. Rated R They're for like, restricted. Condemn that. <laughs> C for condemned. <laughs> That's metal as fuck. Right. <laughs> um, later, so in uh, nineteen March nineteen seventy two, during the trial of a fourteen year old boy in England, he was accused of manslaughter of a classmate. Um, and the prosecutor referred to a clockwork orange, suggesting that the boy had seen it. And then that's what drove him to kill this other boy. Because I guess the boy had mentioned it, that he felt like, uh, or he was like singing, singing in the rain while he like oh, essentially okay. like beat this boy to death. Oh. I could have the detail. I don't have all the details on that. But essentially, people started committing violent acts and were attributed, attributing it to seeing this movie. And eventually Kubrick in 73 actually asked them to pull the movie huh. because, oh, wow. because of this stuff. Because his family started getting like death threats and things like that. Wow. And then shortly thereafter, the film was banned, like outright banned in Ireland, Singapore, South Africa, Brazil, Spain, South Korea, Alberta, Nova Scotia, and Malta. As well as it wasn't explicitly banned in England, but for like 30 years, it was apparently very difficult to see. Wow. Interesting. This movie caused waves. And I think because of so much of that controversy, that's part of the reason it became a cult classic. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Literally watching this. Because had this just went under the radar and not made big waves like that, I don't know if people would really look at this as... I don't think as it's highly as, yeah, as they do. I don't think it's a great film, truthfully. I think that the philosophy behind the film is interesting to think about and mm-hmm. kind of discuss, but I don't feel like it's greatly done. While I was watching the movie, I was literally thinking, what is it about this film that is making it a classic? Because I'm not seeing it on this end. No. But if there's such a big controversy behind it, that makes sense completely. I think it's the lore of it. I know, like, David Bowie took tons of influence from this movie as far as kind of like when he entered his Ziggy Stardust era, apparently he kind of attributed some of that to before he had even seen the movie. He just saw the poster of Mm. the outfits and that kind of inspired a little bit of the Ziggy Stardust stuff. And even up until his 2016 album, his final album, Dark Star, he would use, he would make references to this movie and would drop like some of that weird futuristic slang. So, I mean, like it inspired him, tons of punk bands. Uh, oh, so I, many punk I bands. Mean, and I think a lot of that comes from, I know me at that age when I was into that stuff, really the only part of the movie I paid attention to was like the first half of the movie when they're just being absolute hooligans, yeah. anarchists, you know, and, and I think it kind of mirrored the world of England at that time in the early seventies, from what I've heard, it's, it was a lot of like street gangs, a lot of young people who felt like they had no future. That's kind of what the punk scene was born from. Oh yeah. This disillusionment with the hippies and just a, a lot of unemployment, a lot of gangs, a Mm -hmm. lot of violence. Um, and this movie kind of mirrored that. So I think that's, that's part of the reason it ended up finding a home and as like a cult classic. 
it's so interesting because I wanted to I wanted to eyeball the dates of the releases for a lot of Kubrick's other movies because I am I am a Stanley Kubrick fan, but I wasn't sure release dates okay. of, of a lot of stuff. Uh, so in '68 he does 2001: A Space Odyssey, and then Clockwork Orange, and before both of those in 1964 is Doctor Strangelove. Huh. So like boom, 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 he does these three yeah. in a row. And it's just interesting watching the just watching the change like as he goes along to like to get to the point of doing a clockwork orange from those two movies is just kind of a wild progression. Yeah. Uh this was an interesting film, Thor. Yeah. Also, take into mind this was made in the seventies. Nineteen seventy one. Like this is That's when it released, it, right? Yeah. So it was probably even like or, end of right. the 60s. I, end of actually, the 60s. I think it said 1972 is when it actually released. Oh, okay. I'm, it says 71 on IMDb. I can't get my facts straight. You, you just get your facts straight. I just straight. can't get my facts straight today. But yeah, in any case, the point I was making, I think, was this movie fucking pushed boundaries. Yeah. yeah. In that um, era. Like if this movie came out today, there, there would be some uproar, but it wouldn't be nearly a, as big of a deal as it would have been in the early 1970s. It's definitely strange, but it's it's one of those that, like, I think he was trying to make something that was intentionally pushing boundaries and uncomfortable, and it was kind of like an experimental type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Kubrick is, like, very much, like, the auteur, you know? Like, he's got a style, and he, and that's exa- he goes for challenging things. Like, that's what he wants to do. He wants to challenge you. Like, this isn't a movie you watch for fun, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. This is a movie you watch for thought-provoking or if you're like a film student and you want to learn about film or yeah. someone recommends it for a podcast yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not, not like you're gonna be like you, you bros want to get together this weekend and get some zaz and some mountain dew and watch a clockwork <laughs> orange <laughs> it yeah um it was a film thor and and i appreciate the thought <laughs> <laughs> once again I didn't really remember just how brutal some of this movie was. It was brutal. It really, it really is. It was so brutal. I, so I, I do have a little regret about that, but I do think it was good for this show. I, it's I an think, I think, it, I think this mm-hmm. is an absolutely. Yeah. This was a very cool discussion. Yeah, I'm um, talking about this for so, sure. Let's move to ratings. Uh, Real quick, could I throw out an Easter egg that I found in the movie? Yeah. So when he's at the record shop right before the three way with those two girls. They're oh, that at, was pretty sweet. At, I like that part. at the cash register, right beneath the right beneath the counter was uh, a record copy of the soundtrack to Space Odyssey 2001. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's I was so like, cool. that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That cool. I did not catch that at that's all. That's a hell of a spot, Zach. That's awesome. Yeah, I, 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 it's the iconic like if you've ever seen the cover of the DVD or the yeah. posters or anything, it was that. And I was like, oh shit, there it is. Huh. That's very cool. That's fun. All right, so let's rate. Let's go on a scale of one to ten bottles of drugged milk. <laughs> um, take one down, pass it around. <laughs> one to ten bottles of drugged. And of, I rated drugged st- milk. I rated the Star Wars Holiday Special a two. <laughs> oh God! Don't start. Talking. You rated Sublime Robin the Hood a four. I rated okay. I was shocked that that got a higher rating than the Star Wars. 
<laughs> I wasn't. I still think he, he rated Star Wars way too high. See, now I'm starting to regret this <laughs> because now I feel like, well, if I rated that a two, then, you know, what did I rate? No, you feel how you feel, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, but now I feel like if I rate a Clockwork Orange a two, I have to compare that to how I felt about Star Wars. Uh, so, nah. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and rate it a two. you really didn't like this did you i i really didn't and i i think it's just it was a movie where nothing good happened like i couldn't root for anybody i couldn't attach myself to anybody i couldn't see myself in anybody i couldn't i don't know man i just couldn't get with anything i understand why he made the film i understand the the purpose behind, you know, what it means to be human and what it means to be good and all of that. And I think that's a, a very interesting and worthwhile discussion for sure. But I did not like this film. So execution as opposed to... <laughs> sure, yeah. I think that mm. the, you probably, if this were to be done today, it would be done very differently. Well, maybe it wouldn't be. I don't know, because now the controversy is so ingrained with the movie, yeah. sounds like, um, that maybe it wouldn't be done very differently. All I can say is it was uncomfortable for me to watch. It was not an enjoyable experience. I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have, but you can have that conversation without watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that's my thought. Uh, it was cool to see a very, very young Malcolm McDowell. That's the movie for me. Would you have ranked it higher if it would have given us the first appearance of Boba Fett? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine Boba Fett just hunting Droogie? Like, you scumbags. On my... oh, I would definitely watch that. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. McCrary, what about you? Where would you put this on a scale of 1 to 10 drug oh, milks? It's so funny. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give it 7 drug milks. I'm a, I'm a Kubrick fan. I, I am a, I'm a Kubrick fan. I like how difficult this movie is. That's, I know it's so fucking bougie of me to say this. It's the best part of the movie. I, I love how difficult the movie is. I like the challenge of it. I like the conversation it creates because I think that really is the whole point. It's like I said earlier, you're not this isn't a movie that you're this isn't a movie to have fun watching. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and and I so I think it serves its purpose whatever that purpose might be, because we found a handful of possible purposes as we've talked about it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the point is that like, if, if I look at it from like, like an analytical perspective, I think that it is really interesting because it creates a whole lot of different possible conversations about a lot of really tough topics. Yeah. And I like, I like Kubrick. I, I like what he does. He does a lot. Like I've, I'm a fan of most of the things that he does. It, it, I, I will be honest if I had to rank Kubrick movies that I like, this one is at the bottom of that list. <laughs> I mean, fucking Full Metal Jacket, yeah. you know, Space Odyssey, great. Doctor Strange Love, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe Eyes Wide Shut is underneath this. That's but, an S. Yeah, that one's a well, you know. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it a seven just because I'm a a bougie snob, I guess. That yeah, I'm probably closer to where you are. Like I like, I mean, but it's been established. I like weird shit, honestly. I would probably go five. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like right down. Cause I always try to think like, 
like in different categories like the category of rewatchability like one out of ten like i this isn't something you can just flick on this no like i probably i don't know if i'll ever watch this movie again i probably won't right that's a pretty big knock against is like you don't want to watch it again things that i like we didn't even really talk about is the soundtrack is kind of insane it's just like classical music playing the whole time yeah which is set against this like incredibly dark and grisly imagery and things that are going on which i really like i find that very interesting Uh, we didn't really dive into like the music the soundtrack of this that it's just constantly fucking beethoven playing as people are being brutalized and just the darkest things you can imagine are happening um i find that very interesting so yeah i think i'm kind of like down the middle because there are things I really like about it. I really like McDowell's character. I like Alex. I think that I, he does a good I, job as an actor in this film, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is He is the perfect person for this role. He's somehow likable, even though you know he's absolutely evil and he's a terrible person. He still somehow manages to be likable and kind of whimsical. And he's like the he all his weird future speak. Oh, my, my noggin and the, the devotchkas and all the, this bit and that. And it's like, it's just fun like it somehow ends up being fun in in this like dark and twisted way so yeah i think i think part of the reason that i'm so low on it is because i i went into it knowing that it was a cult classic and knowing that it was just a classic in general so i'm like cool like i'm gonna watch it must be good right like there must be something there must be something about this that you know is i don't know worthwhile no i I genuinely i think the controversy of it is probably is it what propelled it into that i do think there are some neat scenes uh the way it's filmed and I, I, I think it's kind of sure like, yeah some of the cinematography cinema cinematography techniques mm-hmm. are are cool yeah, yeah i'll give that so i i definitely think there are pluses but yeah i think i'm kind of right down the middle on it is like i i don't entirely know how i feel about this movie because there's a lot of stuff i don't like i don't think it was fun to watch no no <laughs> it wasn't it's absolutely all. not it wasn't fun. fun to not watch but all. there were things that i really enjoyed and there were things that were fun to watch in it. But as a whole, I'm like, it makes sense that you had to watch it in like three sittings. Yeah. Because yeah. like, it I, felt I, like a chore as I was finishing it. I was like, I, Jesus, can it just be over? Please? <laughs> I got it. I get it. I understand what's going on. Just wrap it up. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let me tell you about me trying to finish this movie. Oh, man. All right. So last night, I'm like, I got to watch the last 40 minutes of this film. And it's like 11 o'clock. I go down to the couch and I start it. And within 15 minutes, I am asleep. (laughs) And and then I wake up and I'm like, no, no, I've got to watch this film. It was like I woke up panicked because I knew I still had to watch it. But then Mm -hmm. I looked at my phone and it's like one in the morning. I'm like, I got to watch this film. (laughs) So I rewind it. While I'm rewinding the film, I fell asleep and I didn't wake up. (laughs) I just, I woke up at like 4.30 and I'm like, I'm not watching this film tonight. Clearly, it's not happening. So when I got home from work today, I just watched the last like half hour. Uh, but it was it was tough for me to get through. You really had to slog through. I yeah. I did for this one, but I would do it again for this show. Um, don't recommend it though, please. So <laughs> so with that being said, where are you in a Clockwork Orange? Are you uh, on Team Micah where you're like, you know what? It was kind of interesting, but it's not really a great movie. The thought process behind the movie, I think, is more interesting than the movie itself. Or are you on Team Thor and Zack where you're like, you know what? The thought process behind this 
um, made the movie worth watching. And it really raised a lot of questions and was a worthwhile time, albeit maybe sparingly. You know, let us know. But before we go, I guess I should recommend something to Thor. Yeah, yeah. That's how the show works, after all. Good thought. Yep, good thought. So, Thor, since we're a little bit long, all I'm going to say is the new God of War game came out pretty recently. There was a big resurgence um, in 2018, though, where they released God of War. And instead of the game taking place in Greek mythology, it has shifted into Norse mythology. It's one of the probably highest hailed games of all time. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's certainly in recent history. And I think that you need to play God of War. You do. All right. Excellent. So uh, the 2018 God of War game, PlayStation exclusive. I've never played any God of War games. Oh, this is a great jumping on point. Because <laughs> basically the whole original arc is is tied up in a bow and... It, I mean, it has some significance, but for the most part, this is a really good jumping Here's on everything I know about God of War. Uh, it's like Greek mythology time. There's this fighter guy, and he, like, kills gods and, like, becomes a god himself, I think. That is that, God that, of War. That, ding, yeah. ding. Okay. That's it right there. You know the story. So, And I've, I've seen, like, the gameplay, so I know it's kind of, it's kind of like a hack and slash yeah. type thing. So. Okay. <sighs> All right. Next week, God of War 2018. Zach. Thank you again for coming. Yeah, two weeks in a row, man. This has been awesome. Always fun having you on. Thank you for having me, my brothers. <laughs> uh, go check out the comics that we love. You can find it anywhere, right? That you can it's find podcasts. Comics that we love is everywhere that you want a podcast. So is TFD Nerdcast. And the com- comics and beer will also be once it drops. Yeah. Podcast King, you idiots. Go listen to his stuff. <laughs> listen to the, the Trinity of Zach, my three nerd podcasts. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, till next time, folks. As always, you get wrecked. <laughs> Mike is so sad. Stay <laughs> wrecked. <laughs> uh, good night. Good night.